welcome everyone to our Every Other Thursday podcast, where we cover the wide world of food service and hospitality. Our hosts cover both the relevant news of the moment and we invite key industry experts in for conversations that are informative, enlightening, and entertaining. Every Other Thursday is an approximately 40 to 50 minute conversation presented bi-weekly by Tabletop Journal. Now, here's your host of Every Other Thursday, Dave Turner. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to our Every Other Thursday podcast. By the way, for those of you who are counting, and I know you're out there, this is episode number 25 of Every Other Thursday. I'm Dave. I'm your host here at Every Other Thursday, and I'm here with my colleagues, Greg Kiris. Greg, how are you doing tonight? Good, good. Glad to be here. Okay, great out there in Chicago. And of course, the lovely and the talented and vivacious Jay Alley is with us, as always. Jay, how are you on this fine October day? Couldn't be nicer. Couldn't be nicer. Grumpy old man. <laughs> well, I got to tell you both, usually when we have guests on, uh, and we've had some phenomenal guests, I have to say, and, and I'm, I'm always very excited and can't wait to get going. But today, I'm actually a little nervous. And the reason I'm nervous is we've got Chris Kiritz on today, and he's an incredibly busy guy. And he's going to be talking about stuff that's out of my comfort zone for sure. And in some cases, it's way out of our comfort zone, I think, and way out, at least way out of mine. Maybe you gentlemen are all tech savvy and data savvy and all that. But that's Chris's bailiwick. But there's at least a little bit of common ground in that Chris is in love with the cocktail world. And he's way down the road on all these things that are everything that's cocktail, he gets it. And specifically in the first segment, I want to talk to Chris. I want him to tell us a little bit about photography of cocktails and how he does. He's not a professional photographer, but he's all about photographing cocktails and he does it with little or no professional equipment. And he's got a lot of other people doing it. So he knows a lot about it and how to do it on a great photography of cocktails on a shoestring. And I want to explore that more with him. And in the second half of our podcast today, I want to talk about He's got a new app he's developing, and apps are, to me, are magic, but Chris will explain it all. And finally, the one thing I really like about Chris, he's a great guy, or he wouldn't be here, right? Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. Like all of us. But more on Chris in a few minutes. First of all, we need to get the general business out of the way. And as most of you know, every other Thursday is our 30 to 45 minutes or so podcast. Where is it really 30 to 45 minutes? Doesn't it always go about 60 minutes now? It goes over. Yep. I think this one might even go longer. Might even go a little longer. Okay. But that's because we're having fun and we're doing good stuff, right? Yep. That's right. Time flies when you're having fun. Right. We're learning stuff. <laughs> yeah. Teaching old dogs new tricks. So the podcast today might run a little long, but that's okay. You're going to love it anyway. Topics we take on are hospitality and food service, always related. And this week's episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you, as usual, by Tabletop Journal. Tabletop Journal is where we celebrate the products the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. And so now, with all that out of the way, let's get Chris in here and get this cocktail party started. A big welcome for Mr. Chris Kiertz, joining us on Every Other Thursday. And hey, everybody, I want you to welcome Chris Kiertz to our podcast this week, Every Other Thursday. Chris, welcome. It's great having you join us. And in our intro, I gave our, our listeners a warning that this conversation is really going to be kind of, I think, going in some ways out of the normal conversations that we've had and taking the, us, the host, a little bit out of our comfort zone. But 
fair is fair. We're going to take you out of your comfort zone a little bit too, because we want to talk a little bit about on-premise. And we know you're not necessarily an on-premise guy, but you've got a lot to do with it and your hands are all over it and you've worked on on-premise. So rather than me go on and on, why don't you take our, our listeners through, give them a quick snapshot of who you are and what you've been up to. Sure. Thanks, Dave. And, and I appreciate all of you having me on the show today. I love this sort of stuff. I love talking shop about cocktails, the industry. So very happy to be here. Hey, who doesn't like cocktails? That's right. I know. I've got one right now. And we can talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, you actually pronounced my name perfectly. A lot of people say Kurtz. Well, I'm not offended by that. It's actually pronounced Kurtz. So you did a great job there. Nice job, Dave. That's okay. I, our guest two weeks ago, I butchered that one. So that's okay. I'm I'm now one for two. I listened to that one. I wasn't going to bring it up, but you know, well, <laughs> so yeah, Chris Kurtz, I am the founder of a competition called the Home Bar Awards, which I'm sure we'll get into detail on. It's a, a home bartending competition that takes place on, on Instagram, uh, sign of the times here. I'm also co-founder of a project called Sidecar, which is a mobile app for cocktails. Again, we'll get into all this, all of this stuff as well. And on top of that, that's actually not my day job. During the day, I work in marketing for tech companies. So that's what I do nine to five. And then, you know, the five to nine, I work on all of this side project stuff and also have a family. So that's, that's my, my spiel. Very good. Other than that, you're just laying around. Yeah. yeah. The one minute, the one minute I have off, I just, you know, relax. On the that's couch. Right. You get on podcast and you just talk a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's, I want to talk about all those things, but one of the things that's interesting to me in all this, and it, it sort of caught my eye, and I, and I, I think we, we spoke about the, how you first came onto our radar screen, is the photography of cocktails. And I think the merchandising and the presentation of cocktails and the marketing aspect of it, of bars in general, but of cocktails and certainly of glassware. And, and I, I mentioned before we started that Jay is our go-to glassware guy on, on our, our team here. But glassware in general, we have another podcast called Seat Yourself, and we've done two uh, episodes recently called The Psychology of the Glass. And we talk about the emotional part of it, the presentation, everything else. But tonight with you, I want to talk a lot about the photography of those cocktails and how we can, at least initially in this first segment, I want to get into how can we teach people, give them some tips, give them some hints on how to photograph this. But you, Because you've been doing this for a while, photographing cocktails and, and promotion of cocktails, right? I have, yeah. I, w I would not call myself a professional by any means. As a, I don't get see that. That's even better. Yeah, I don't get. I don't get paid. I would love to get paid to, to take photos of cocktails, but I don't. So here we are. We're not professionals either. That's okay. That's right. Yeah. There we go. We're we're all in this together. In photography of cocktails, I think of it. I, I'm just thinking of this analogy right now. I think of it like a golf swing in many ways. In that. When you focus on one thing, you forget about another. When you focus on how perfect your ice is, you forget about putting a nice garnish on or you forget about the glassware. The best photographers think of every single element. It's not that they have the nicest cameras. It's not that they have the nicest equipment. They think every detail down to where is this glass going to be placed on the table? Where is this lighting come from? What's going to be around this glass? I do a lot of staging for my cocktails and it takes... 20 to 30 minutes. One I did two weeks ago, that was a maple old fashioned. I was walking my dog and I saw all these maple leaves on the ground because we're in Boston and it's, they're all falling all over the place. 
I picked up about 20 of them and I just put them on the table. It's these things that like, once you get into this mode, mm-hmm. you can't stop thinking about all, all the different things that'll, that'll make your photo stand out from the rest. Well, you're lucky too though, Chris, because you I'm assuming you shoot most of them with liquid in the glass. That's right. Yeah. Taking, yeah. Taking photos of glassware with nothing in it is very difficult. Yeah. David and I know about that because we do a lot of home shoots to take pieces that we can put up on our website and it took me two hours to get one shot of a new glass that we just re-engineered, and it was just amazing. One flash of light hits it a certain way, it's junk. You know? One of the things, Chris, that I love about your story is just what you said before. You're not a professional. You don't have fancy equipment. You're trying to be thoughtful as you go through it, though. And I think that in these days and times, particularly in COVID, and I want to come back, circle back around to some thoughts on COVID in a minute, but in these times, bartenders, bar owners, restaurant managers, whatever, they don't have a lot of money to spend on professional photography of the cocktails and of the drinks in general. So what kind of a camera are you using? Let's start with that. Your phone, cell phone? Not right now, but I used to. So I, you know about the, the whole sock thing. So I used to have, an, I still have the account. It's called Socktails. I just don't don't really post to it anymore. But that was really my entry into the Instagram world of cocktails. Guys, did you get that? Socks tails? Socktails. Socktails, yeah. Yeah. And not cocktails, socktails, like you wear socks on your feet. That's right. Yeah. So so background on that, on the reason I called it socktails was I knew I wasn't a professional bartender. I wanted to start an Instagram account and I and I was trying to think of what's the difference between me and the people who do this professionally. And I, I remember looking down and I had socks on. I was like, there it is. They're not in their socks, just, you know, behind a bar. So that's how that whole thing started. And then my wife suggested taking the photos. So I have these fun socks in the background with the drink in the foreground. And I would try to pair the socks. I was I was at Marshall's every week getting different fun socks. And no lie, I, I counted my socks one time and I had 120 different pairs of socks. So I went through those and uh, purged my supply about two months ago to get rid of some of those. See, that's so important too, because you, again, it's just being creative. It isn't about the equipment so much. It isn't even about the cocktail itself so much. It's about the thoughtfulness and the cleverness of it. And what we'd like to, in this segment, before we get into some of the other cool things that you're doing, what we'd like to do is come up with a couple, two, three, four, cool things that if I'm, if I'm a bartender someplace and I don't have, I have zero, less than zero budget because anything I spend on photography, I get, it's money that's not going to go in my pocket. So what can I do? And certainly being clever, staging it, you mentioned before, just picking up things that, that may be all around us, seasonal things with the leaves, for instance. And also maybe where you can push those photographs out to and how to push them out, you know? Yeah. Yeah, these these are really good questions. I mean, I when I was telling that story about the leaves, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that that was completely free. Just going out finding leaves, and I know not everyone has the luxury of you know beautiful leaves falling on the ground right now. But that's you know the point is just that there's a lot of stuff around you that you can use that you don't even realize. I mean, we all have trinkets around the house that you can bring into the bar that serve as nice, fun props. You can use a phone. A phone is absolutely fine. The the Androids and the iPhones both have portrait mode now, which which gives you in, in the photography world it's called the bokeh effect, which has the foreground is very focused, the background is not. This is what makes a, a professional photo look professional. And then you have all the things around it. If you don't have a budget for a light, you could even use someone else's phone or a flashlight, just put some sort of like piece of computer paper in front of it to diffuse that light. So it's not, you know, just so bright on that glass, because as, as we know, we talked about glassware is not great at 
uh, managing those reflections in photography. And in the, the last thing, I hate to say it because I am the world's biggest fan of stirred brown drinks. They're ugly, but they taste amazing. But when you're, when you're talking about getting your, your image and your brand out to the world, you can have the best brown drinks in the world, but they all look the same. So you either have to do something around that photo to bring it out, or you have to make different drinks that, that really show some color, some pop that stick out. Because when you think about this, if we're talking about getting it out on Instagram, there's one photo per screen. All you're seeing is one photo. So people are going to scroll past that very quickly unless you give them a reason to, to stick around. Has anybody in the restaurant business ever tapped you or called you to ask you about the photography so they can make the tent cards for the special drinks that they offer periodically? That, to me, would be a great market. No, they haven't reached out to me specifically for that. I've actually thought about talking to restaurants myself just to get some some free press for them and to me, me to kind of work on my photography chops. I haven't done that, but what we do a lot of times is we'll, you know, we'll buddy up with some of the bartenders or the owners and right. maybe they give us a complimentary drink or something, but it's more about the relationship and they know by serving us and treating us that we'll go on Instagram and give their restaurant a bunch of love, which we do have the equipment that is nicer. We do have some of the lighting, some of the cameras that can handle some of like the darker lighting, which is, which, you know, some of the best bars are incredibly dark. When I think of death and co in New York city, good luck taking a photo in there. It is basically completely dark. You just have candles to look at the menu. How much would it cost from start to finish? If the, if the restaurant wanted to do a drink of the week thing, special cocktail that they're featuring to, first of all, get the drink mixed, get it shot multiple times so that they get a good photo, get it all set up for printing and do the text. I mean, that's got to be a host of 500 to 1,000 bucks, wouldn't it? Yeah, and if you're talking like employing someone to do that or if they do that themselves. Yeah, you, know, you go to a studio. I mean, I know guys that shot food, and that's not cheap. Yeah, it's not cheap. It's definitely not cheap. And that's where you got to get creative and smart about who you're employing. So – and this is similar to when I think about influencers on Instagram. You can go and find the world's largest influencer, and you're not going to be able to afford it. It's those people below the fray that have, like, Home Borrowers, for example, has 40,000 followers. Sounds like a lot. It's actually not compared to the millions of followers that other people have. So when you're thinking of photographers that can take your drink and make it look good, someone like me who's not a professional, I'm not going to go out and ask for $500 for a shot. I don't deserve it, but I, I would love to get that, that experience. So getting smart and like finding those people whose day job is not making money in photography. And I think you'll, you'll be able to, to get a lot of bang for your buck that way. And Chris, I, let me ask the question before Jay does, because I know he's thinking it. How critical is the glass itself to the photography or the, the photograph of the cocktail? To me, it's crucial but I don't want that to come off as that you need like fancy glassware. I think being intentional and thoughtful about the glass is incredibly important. I have some very ornate glasses that fit the mood sometimes. I have basic old fashioned glasses that sometimes you want that simplicity and that those clean lines. And there's nothing wrong with that. My favorite bar in the world, the Mario Margot, serves every single cocktail they make in these simple, clean, lowball glasses. And they're still beautiful. There's something really nice about that, but you want to be thoughtful about it. Cocktails are so visual by nature. Right. Yeah, I, I, that's the one thing that besides just the, the taste and, and obviously the good vibes that come with the cocktail approach, the visuality of it, 
you smell the cocktails oftentimes before you drink it. And then of course you taste it, but you also feel the glass. Glassware, I had this conversation with Jay earlier today. The glassware is such a tactile and emotional kind of thing. And I, I think that how you photograph, and it's interesting you bring up the brown spirits thing because I hadn't thought, I hadn't considered that. But glassware, it's truly an emotional because you're really selling a, uh, an experience, whether it be the bar experience, the cocktail. I mean, tiki, we, we spent five minutes the other day talking about tiki. It's hard, hard not to smile when you're talking about tiki. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing about tiki is that when you're talking about photographing, anyone can go get a fun tiki mug and take a photo of it. You don't know what's in there. So there's something right. special about, and one of my favorite participants in the home bar words, he's served by Soberon on Instagram. He's all about tiki, colorful tiki. And, you know, I don't know if he has any tiki mugs. He, and maybe they are, but they're clear. So you can see what's in it because people want to see, especially on Instagram, what's going on with this drink. How can, if I just see a mug and, and that's an opaque mug and I can't see what's in it, it's really hard for the people to build any sort of emotional connection with that. Sure, it's fun. But again, anyone can go buy a fun tiki mug. Yeah, it's an amazing business, the cocktail business. And uh, I think the other thing that we're talking about is the martini, the traditional martini glass. I mean, some of everything from, you know, when you see one being served, number one, you know, it's not going to be cheap generally speaking, and you know, you get a little bit of James Bond with it each time, too. I mean, it's that that whole story, the legacy of the shape of the glass. Jay knows. Jay, Jay you're an expert at that. Yes, I know. I know a good martini when I see one. <laughs> Jay's got the greatest glass in the planet right now. Do you have one of those handy with you? Which one? Okay. The Glencairn glass. Oh, I love those. Jay's company produces, under license, he produces it. You know the Glencairn glass, Chris? Yeah, the scotch, the little scotch. Uh, yeah. It is the, gla the glass for scotch. It yeah. is the only glass. I mean, this is the most identifiable glass on the planet. It's one with the Hot Rock logo on it. Ah, uh, yeah. There you go. Everyone needs one of those. Two of those. And see, when you're getting your whiskey served in something like that, you know that, for me, I know that the establishment respects the spirit that they're pouring into the glass and they respect me as a guest. You were talking about something different, but you know, this, have you ever heard of the Nick and Nora glass? Oh, that's, that's, I love Nick and Nora glasses. Yeah. Most of the ones that we compete against are too small. This one's six ounces. Most of them are like four and a half, five, but yeah, that's it. It's, you can use that for old fashions, martinis. I mean, it's great. It's a great, great glass. And that brings up a good point. So when you, when you're looking for glassware, you, and this is probably more in a home thing, going to thrift stores, finding glassware. Cocktails used to be much smaller. They used to be one and a half, two ounces. So if you're finding a lot of vintage glassware, modern recipes actually won't fit into those glasses. So you have to, you end up having to adjust. Yeah, I would think the smallest you could mess with is a six ounce probably. So this conversation is going, it takes me back to uh, the pre-pandemic days of this podcast every other Thursday where, where what we were doing was uh, introducing new products and talking about new tabletop products every week. And really what we, the screen that we used for all these products was whether they, it worked well in the operation, you know, of course the cost, but then you have, of course, what the guest thinks of it. Does it fit in with the entire ambiance, with the brand and all these things? And this is exactly what we're talking about here, drilling down to, to glassware. And it just, you know, again, I guess we, we say this constantly, is just you try, uh, with all the other issues going on for operators right now, we just try to, try to remind people to look at these kind of details. Because these, you know, these little details make a huge difference 
and guest satisfaction. It's so true. And it's why you can charge $10 for a mocktail because they take juice and they put it into a, in a cocktail glass and then charge $10 for it because it's fancy now. Sure. That's another whole topic also, too. That That is a, a trend that is definitely on the rise. Oh, it's yeah. It's going to continue. Low alcohol and no alcohol. I have a quick question, though. You went from socktails, socktails to home bar awards. And in socktails, if I got it right, you were the one taking all the pictures. Mm-hmm. And now home bar awards, everybody else is taking the pictures. That's right. How did you get from, uh, and we're going to come back around in the second segment to Home Bar Awards and more specifically, but how did you migrate from one to the other and why? Yeah, so I loved doing cocktails. It was a lot of fun. It was it was the time in my life where I learned the most about cocktails in general. I read The Drunken Botanist by Amy Stewart, which explains how everything we drink comes from the earth. It's just incredible. Whiskey, wine, beer, all in some ways grown and then processed. And once I read that, I just went on this rabbit hole of learning as much as I could. And I really got into cocktail making. And I wanted to find a competition that I could submit my cocktails into. But every single competition I found was for professional bartenders, which is all great. You know, that's that's awesome. They should have that. But just could never find one for at-home bartenders. And that was a light bulb moment. I said... I need to do this myself. And this is this is kind of the story. You'll, you'll see this as like a common thread as, as we go on that the deeper I get into this industry, the better I am at understanding where those gaps are and where those opportunities are. And that's you know where Sidecar came from. But yeah, Home Bar Awards, I'm up to almost 2,000 submissions over the last two and a half years, worth the 40,000 followers. And what I really pride myself in on Home Bar Awards is that it doesn't matter how good your photo is. As long as you put in some effort to, to uh, you know, accept the challenge and, and go by the rules set out by the challenge, we're going to repost that drink because everyone is, is at a different stage in their, their cocktail learning life cycle. Now, we, when we choose winners, photography definitely plays a role in that. But my goal in, the, in this whole thing is just to help build this community and, and, and help Others get better at making cocktails. And like I said, when we started, who doesn't like cocktails, right? Yeah, I'm finally happy to be the guy that's going to make us not worry about being alcoholics. Anonymous, we're going to be alcoholics. What would be the right word? <laughs> you know, publicly, you're alcoholics. Okay, before we take a break, I want to circle back around, Chris. What are three or four things that very poor bartenders with zero budgets and restaurateurs these days, what can they do to improve their photography and their presentation of cocktails? And I don't want to leave out uh, Greg's comment before about how do we get them out? How do we push them out there? Mm-hmm. So what are three or four other tips? I know you, you gave us a couple. Yeah, there, there are a couple in there before, but the best piece of advice I ever heard was from a professional cocktail f- photographer. He's actually based in New York City, Brent Herrig. He does the dead rabbit photography. He's very well known for his food photography in New York City. And we did an event at Amori Margo. This was basically a month before COVID started and all the quarantine started. And his piece of advice was wherever you're lighting a cocktail from, the light is going to reflect on the opposite side. And the biggest mistake I see is people lighting their cocktail from directly behind the camera. And I've done this myself, just testing different angles of lighting. And it always looks flat. It looks white. It looks, it just doesn't look like a compelling photo. And simply by, I wish I could show you visually the differences where the cocktail is the same, staging is the same. And all I do is move that lighting to the side of the cocktail or behind the cocktail out of the shot. 
it just completely transforms the cocktail. So definitely play with lighting. There's a lot of interesting things you can do with turning off a bunch of lights and having just one light lighting the cocktail. Do you have a special room you shoot them in? I don't. I know some people do, but my style is more organic in that I want it to seem like you just happen to be drinking this cocktail at the kitchen table or at the bar. That's my style, but I definitely knew, and I've, and I've tried having a dedicated space for the cocktails. A lot of people will do a sort of a white box where it almost looks like the cocktail is just floating in a white space. And that allows you to focus on a lot of the details of the cocktail itself. You know, I was telling you I was shooting stuff in my house to get this wine glass squared away. I tried to do it again, and I was trying to get a shot of a different size of the same collection. And it was a bright, sunny day. I shut every blind, every drape in the house. Couldn't get the house dark enough. Yeah, it's funny because being in Boston, at least, we, the summer is, is the time for the natural light photos. The winter is the time for the artificial light photos because by the time I'm done with work, it's basically dark out. And they have, they have very different qualities. Natural, there's nothing that can replace natural light. But at night, I'll shut every single thing off and just use my one photography light. And there, there's some really cool shots you can get with that. It's not easy to do. Where, where are you from in Boston? I live on the, it's called the South Shore. So it's 45 minutes south of Boston, sure. right on the commuter rail, which, you know, is, doesn't really matter right now. But <laughs> used to used to take the train into Boston. Yeah, I'm from Fall River. My wife's from Wellesley. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah. Fall River is, I know they, they've got a big Portuguese population there, I believe. Uh, just slightly. <laughs> <laughs> the other one that I, I made a note of too, you use something with paper to diffuse the lighting you said before. I think that's an interesting tip too, because sometimes you can't quite get the lighting right. And to have just something simple as computer paper, something really, it's just being thoughtful. I think that's interesting too. So lighting is really key. What else would you, would you say is something to remember? I know there's brown spirits was another one, but there's, there's probably two or three other tips that you could uh, give to operators. Uh, out there as well. The difference between my photos now and my photos a year ago, year and a half ago is the staging. And I visually, I just think about this in my head before I even pour the drink, before I think of what, well, probably after I think of what drink I'm making, Mm -hmm. then it comes down to, okay, how is this going to look visually? And I know if you look at uh, YouTube channels, like the bike shot, they'll go over how you stage things. A lot of photographers will actually draw it out before they even set anything up just to get there there's so many nuances to what's in the frame what's out of frame and you can test a bunch of this out when you're taking the photo but if you have an idea baseline of what you want it to look like it makes it a lot easier to come into the shot and get what you want if i a year ago i would take a hundred photos to get three good ones now i take 30 photos to get five good ones and that amount of time just the, the time saving in that when, when I'm doing all these other things, it's, it's not efficient. So those are the, the little things. And then we talked about this already, but focusing on the details, what does your ice look like? I was just going to ask you, and what happens when the glass starts to frost? That could be good or bad, right? It could be a really neat highlight or it could be a disaster. It could be good or bad. I used to leave my glasses in the freezer before taking shots, but then I had no good way of taking them out of the freezer without leaving a fingerprint <laughs> on it. But, but if you do like a tiki, if you do a tiki drink that has crushed ice, it inevitably frosts over. And that's our, that's a really cool look. Ice is incredibly important. If you, if you're using like traditional ice cube trays and you're using that sort of ice, which is very white and cloudy, it kind of distorts from, from the overall aesthetic of the drink, but the details, what can you add? What can you add to the shot itself? 
from your maraschino jar that you just used to garnish your Manhattan. Include that in the shot. If, you, if you're garnishing with a lime, uh, include some other limes in the shot, some other citrus. There's a, there's a lot of small things that, that you can do that really bring out the best in your shot. The shot's going to make you want to pick the drink up and have some. Exactly. You want to feel like you're there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. See, I, I think this is really helpful advice because there's so many people out there that you can hire a photographer, of course, and then a, a professional will come in, break your budget and all that. But there's so many people out there trying to do it on their own. And there's little tiny things that you have just mentioned, Krista, that really can make a big difference. And I would, the only thing I would add to all that is in terms of the actual picture itself is you just got to start doing it. And it, because you, you yourself just said you got a whole lot better probably uh, in over the last year or two, three, whatever it's been. And I think that's really important too to understand that you got to start someplace, and maybe your pictures when you start uh, the pictures you take, the images you take won't be as good as they will be down the road. But start and get going, and uh, and you learn as you go. I think that that is an excellent point. And I'm not going to lie, I, I've had many nights that I've taken photos and spent an hour of my my day taking the photos that never made it to Instagram because. And that's, it's, it's really demoralizing, to be honest. It's like you, you put in all this effort and you look at the final product and I just upgraded my camera. I, I still don't have anything fancy. I actually went on Amazon and found a used Canon Rebel T7i, I think it's called, and saved $200 by doing that. There was like this autofocus feature, which, which really helped because my old camera, the screen was so small that it couldn't actually tell if things were in focus. And I would upload it to my computer and realize that not a single shot was in focus. And those are the sorts of things that are just that make it really tough, but you learn from it. You're, you're going to get better. You do anything enough, you're going to get better. Quick question on that. If you're going to Instagram, is it does it always have to be high res? Not really. I mean, let's put it this way. I'm not a purist when it comes to photography. I'm into music. I'm not a purist when it comes, into, comes to music. I, I'm a practical pragmatist, I guess is the best way to put it. I find what works. And this is, this is how I apply myself in, in general marketing and B2B marketing is Find something that works. It's never going to be perfect. So to, to answer your question, I don't. I would say no. There are probably people who disagree with me, but you have a single goal on Instagram. It's to make people stop at your photo and like it. And they're not going to care if it's high res, if it's blurry, or if it's pixelated. Sure, but they're not. They're not going to sit there saying, "Oh, this is low res. I'm not going to. I'm not going to like this." And, and that decision's made in the blink of an eye. Right. Exactly. You don't even think about it. Right. Last question on cocktails and and, uh, and and the photography of them. Greg brought up a great point. Once I've got the great photo, a photo that I'm at least happy with for the moment, how do I get it out there to people? You're a marketer. <laughs> so there's a lot that goes into this. And sure, hashtags are one of them. Hashtags is, is an overused term all over the place. There's a good way to use them. There's a bad way. Look at some cocktail-related hashtags. When I post for Home Bar Awards, because I post so much, I spent so much time posting that I actually created a Google Doc that randomized my top 20 hashtags. And then it takes six of them, and I add those six to every cocktail I post, and it's random each time. But the thing is, you have to find the hashtags that are not just so overused that people are actually going to pay attention. Because if you're using something like hashtag cocktail, I don't know offhand, it's probably got 4 million photos on cocktail. But if you look at something like Imbibe Gram or Cocktail Gram, you're, you're talking 300 to 400,000, somewhere in that range. And it's way easier to, to stand out from the crowd. So getting smart about which hashtags you're using is really key. And I'd honestly say 
just as important as your photo is how engaged you are in the platform. So if you post a photo, never come back to Instagram and expect people to engage with it, it's probably not going to happen. It could be the best photo in the world. It doesn't matter. What I do, and this is how I'm building up my sidecar presence because we're still in beta, but my job as a marketer is to earn that presence now, even though we don't really have a, a full product, is I just engage. I spend every night I can, I spend time following 10 different people. I engage with four or five of their posts and I comment on one of them. And I know this sounds very methodical and it's extremely tedious, but the results pay off. I track this down to the T and the results pay off. And I am up to, this doesn't sound like a lot, but it's up to almost 700 followers for a product that that doesn't even really fully exist yet. That's the sort of gritty, creative actions you have to take on Instagram. It's not just about getting it out there. Yeah. Like most things in life, there aren't many shortcuts. That's right. And I think we've all seen things on social media that we thought were... I'll be gentle and say uh, formulatic. Uh, they were they were some formula. They were just like, and every post from from somebody who's posting a lot ends up looking the same. And you can tell if you if you spend any time on any of these platforms, you can start to fe- get that vibe that it's the same thing being generated. You, you use the random hashtag ra- randomization of the hashtag hashtags. I think that's a great uh, great example of what of how you have to do. It. And finally, you have to put the time in. That's right. And, that's right. And and just like you said, there are no shortcuts. I see an abundance of accounts commenting generic, nice shot, nice shot with with a couple emojis or just emojis. And, and you know, we're we're not stupid. We're it's clear that that's just a bot coming in and commenting. I really, I really try. I find something about the drink, the photo, anything, and I personalize that comment. And I know it's it doesn't sound this isn't glorious, this isn't romantic, but this this is honestly marketing in this day and age. This this is what it takes. You know, it's the authenticity of the comment itself mm-hmm. that comes through. I think I think that's really really crucial. Uh, we're going to take a break right now, and then we're going to come back with more from Chris. And I want to hear more about this sidecar app. I'm curious about that and a couple other projects. It's not like uh, you're just laying around and not doing anything. So you got a lot going on. We have a lot to talk about in the same. There's some great tips in there. We'll have some of them on our website as well uh, in the summary when we post this up for our listeners. We'll have some of those tips that Chris gave us. But right now, we're going to take a break and we'll come back in segment two with more interesting stuff with Chris. Say the name, Chris. Kurtz. Kurtz. There you go. Chris Kurtz, everybody. Right back at you. This episode of Every Other Thursday is brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years now, Tabletop Journal has been covering the food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. If you haven't signed up for Tabletop Journal's bi-monthly newsletter, it's simple and easy, and it's free. Simply go to TabletopJournalNewsletter.com. Now, back to our podcast. Okay, welcome back, everybody. We're in segment two of Every Other Thursday, and we're talking with Chris here. <laughs> you had it right the first time. <laughs> I was better the first time. Well, that always happens. See? I shouldn't have brought it up. 
See, I got I, now I'm self conscious and I got too too comfortable and whatever. We were here with Chris and we're learning a lot about photography on the on the shoestring budget in the first segment, but the second segment we talked about Home Bar Awards, which is awesome. If you haven't been to the Home Bar Awards site on Instagram, go there. They have a website too, HomeBarAwards.com, and uh, they've only got about forty thousand followers, folks. So uh, it's not a very popular site. So anyway, in this segment, though, and Chris, you touched on it a couple times. I want to get into this uh, new side gig you have called Sidecar App. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Sidecar was kind of the result of, well, I, I love to, to check in the drinks I'm, I'm drinking, whether it's beer or wine. You have Untapped for beer. Vivino for wine is actually another one. I forget the name of it. And actually realized that there was nothing like this that existed for cocktails. And the issue or the challenge with cocktails is that they're not scannable. Like if, if I go to a, a liquor store and, and pick up a bottle of wine, I can scan that with Vivino and it immediately pulls it up. I can scan a barcode on a beer and it immediately knows what beer that is. You can't go to a bar and scan a cocktail because <laughs> there's no way for any, you know, the best AI in the world to know what cocktail that is. Maybe someday, maybe in 50 years. But I, I saw that it was an opportunity there because as someone who loves to drink but also loves data, I wanted to be able to capture all of this information about myself, be able to share that with other people. I saw this behavior taking place on Instagram stories. You see people go to a bar, they'll, they'll just take a photo of whatever drink they're drinking, they'll put the ingredients. But on Instagram stories, that's lost forever. You have it for 24 hours and it's lost forever. You don't capture any of that information. So the two co-founders and I, we, we came up with this idea for Sidecar and it allows you to check in drinks. When you, go to a, when you go to a bar, you can rate the drink, you can review it, you can add ingredients, you can add any techniques. And the, the interesting part about all of this is that we were going to launch beta in May. And we did launch beta in May, except... COVID came around and kind of put a wrench in our plans. So instead of just being a, an app for going to a bar and drinking a cocktail, you can actually check in something at home. So a good example of this is I'm drinking an old pal right now, which is whiskey, dry vermouth, and Campari. I forgot the ratios, but I went back on my sidecar profile to the last time I made an old pal. I actually searched for it on the app and I and I found the exact ratios that I used last time. And that's the sort of behavior that for me as a cocktail nerd is really exciting. But in the long term, having all of this data to then tell a bar that here are the cocktails that people love at your bar, here are the cocktails they don't love at your bar. Or talking to a, a brand manufacturer like Bacardi and saying, hey, you know what people are purchasing at the at the higher level, but how's it being used? How's it being used at home? How's it being used at a bar? This is the sort of data that we're going to get out of this. That's pretty cool. What stage is your app in now? So we're the, at the very last stage of beta. There are probably a million things we want to do, but you know, this is a side project for all of us. We all have day jobs. Yeah. I was going to say, you're not, you're not in this alone. You're doing this with a team. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's three of us and we all do it on the side. So there's a limitation in what we can build. So, but in a way I like that it limits you. You have to be hyper-focused on what features you're building, what features you're not. So we have the check-in ready to go. We have some map functionality and we're just getting every little detail now, all of the bugs, all of the, the user requests, and just making sure we nail those down. 
And for people who aren't, aren't accustomed to, to pushing apps to the App Store, Apple is very strict about what can get on the App Store and what can't. So we need to make sure that we have all of this buttoned up before we try to publish it and see what they come back with if they do at all. Is there a long lead time getting approval to be in their in their store in the Apple Store or Android or the Play Store for Android? Yeah, I think for the first go around for this first like real App Store launch, it, it might be a little bit. And even Google on their website said that there there are longer lead times now because of COVID. So some smaller challenges, but we'll get there for sure. Yeah, I know uh, when we first started podcasting uh, to get on some of the podcast platforms, uh, there are a bunch of them that just say, uh, send us your information, we'll get back to you. Mm. And you're like, okay. When? <laughs> you know, months months later, I'm, you know, you might be dead by the time uh, you're on there. But it's great. You're walking down the final stages, it sounds like. We're very close. We, um, Despite being a side project, we meet basically every week. It's called sprint planning. We look at what do we need to get done this week? Can we get it done? And, you know, sometimes it doesn't work out. But, you know, having worked for many venture capital backed companies, it's very important to me that we keep this bootstrap, that we keep this aside project so that we can really build it out how we want to build it out. We want to build it for the users, the people who are going to use this every single day. And that's really important to me. So the sacrifices we have to make are, are it's a side project and, and we have to do other things to support us. So you're going to make it fun for the users who are the, the user interface is going to be easy and fun and, and, and capture the information that you think that they want. And then the data is where the revenue streams come in. Yeah, revenue streams, of course, you know, I, I would love to, you know, eventually make this a full time. You know, so part of my long time, my long term goal in general is to make cocktails full time. So whether that's in three years, whether that's in 10 years, I don't know, but that's part of the goal. So yeah, making revenue is certainly part of part of the equation. But also the, when I think about the data, what excites me and what excites people who are, who are maybe not at the level that I am as, as far as like enthusiast goes, is if I check in a few cocktails, we're going to be able to tell you, what do you like? If I, if I go to a new city, if I go to New York City and I want to drink something that I would like, we're going to be able to tell you where those drinks are in relation to where you are. And to me, that that is just like, that gets me all giddy just thinking about it, that we'll be able to do that. See, when you say it like that, I think of, if I say Zagat, the Zagat guy, of, which Google bought from Tim, Tim and Nina, you know, that to me tells, you know, that, that's the kind of guide by city where you can go and find the cocktails that you like. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the goal. And, and the difference is that Zagat has has you know certain requisites they have certain criteria they have a grading rubric and our grading rubric is your own is the history of the drinks you've had it's what have you rated and we have all these different tags so it might it might turn out that you like stirred drinks more than other drinks or you like funky drinks however you've tagged things or you, or you don't like fruity drinks whatever it is that's going to be captured and we'll be able to serve up recommendations based off of that so when, when can people who now you've teased them a little bit the listeners a little bit when can people expect to see this you think we're pushing for november for getting this to the app stores if, if people are really itching to to download it you can you can sign up get sidecar.app and you know if you have iphone or android you can sign up for the beta which is which is exciting because you get to help shape how we're building this out. So either way, you can wait for a public launch or you can you can download the beta. What immediate benefits do you see for the operators? We have a lot of operator listeners as well. Yeah, I mean the the operator to me data is is key with all this. And and having worked at 
a company called BevSpot, which uh, sold bar inventory software to the beverage industry, is that I'm so used to, to tech where data reigns supreme. When you get into the beverage industry, it's not necessarily the case. Sure, the best operators are running very heavily on data, but what we want to do is help those operators understand the drinks that people are drinking and what they like. Because you you could look at your POS system, you can look and see what's selling, but are you understanding your market? And that's there's a there's a big differentiator there. And operators of multiple locations, seeing this at a at a higher level of what people are drinking. When I think I used to work for a, for a hospitality company. They owned 30 hotels. For them to be able to see this information at a granular level, see what people are drinking, how they're rating it, that to me, I I am not an operator myself. It's a thesis. It's what we think people would find valuable to help them better build out their beverage program. But that to me is really exciting. The things you're working on, if someone was out of the bar or at home or doing whatever, and let's say they were having a bourbon drink, would it make any sense to say, look, if you're going to have more than one drink and you're going to switch, here are two things that complement each other. Is that possible? You know, sometimes a woman will go and they'll have a martini and say, give me a, you know, maybe a Bloody Mary. I don't know. But I see people drinking two different kinds of drinks. And, and you know, what does that do to your palate? And, you know, that one drink would complement another. So someone could say, well, I want, I'm only going to have two things. Maybe I'll have one, one of these bourbon types and one of these others. Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good question. I've not heard that heard it phrased in that way before. How like the relationships between two different drinks? But Jay, are you thinking about we're at a, at a restaurant? We show up a little early for reservation, so we're going to sit at the bar and have a cocktail, and then we're going to go to the table. Yeah, you could do that, or you could say, "Gee, you know that guy or gal over there's got that, that looks like a really cool drink," and you ask the bartender, "Well, what's a, well, it's a bourbon this, and we just had a bourbon some other way." You know, would my palate accept that? Would it be good if I had one of those and tried it, or should I just stay with what I got? That's a, that's a very interesting question, and I, I do I think it's possible. I think you need enough you need enough data points though, right, to be able to have a significant enough result that in a split second that will tell you like, yeah, this is a good decision. Um, I would love to get there. I wish I wish our our developer Luke was on this call because this is definitely a sweet spot. But if you have enough data, you can you can do a lot with that. Yeah, because it's kind of like drinking wine, you know. I mean, we've all done it, I guess, but, you know, you'll have a, a white wine and all of a sudden you go, hey, I'm, I, I just feel like another glass of wine, but I'm not going to drink the Chardonnay. I'll get a, a Pinot or something. Yeah. For me, it doesn't matter because too many Tito's martinis have destroyed my palate. So It's slightly different, uh, but this makes me think. I, I was with the uh, National Restaurant Association, ran the restaurant show here in Chicago for a long time, and everybody knows about pairing wine with food. And then this next generation was beer with food. So what kind of beer goes best with this dish, everything like that. But what I've found, and this is going back a couple of years, is that the cocktail spirits and then the cocktail group, they just didn't know enough about pairing with, with food. And when they started exploring in that area, it made a huge difference. And yet it was moving very slowly. Oh, look at the major. You're absolutely correct because the major breakthrough was vodka and olives. There you go. Well, it sounds like, Chris, that you, once you get that data, as you say, you're going to have much more educated bartenders, servers, that kind of thing, who can also recommend things. And uh, and also, you're talking about a different type of bartender than, than maybe was prominent 
20 years ago, let's say, 30 years ago, or even 10 years ago, where they were doing everything out of intuition. Now you're going to have the data to know what your customers like and what they don't. And it's more, much more specific. And I, I think that's very, very interesting. Right. And in, in, you bring up a good point in that like we, we really are very thoughtful about the industry and the bartenders. We've had suggestions to rate the bartenders. Uh, and you know that was something that I, I really didn't like because I don't want to make this about the person serving you the drink. I've been behind the bar before. Mm-hmm. There's so much more to that relationship than the drink that you're serving. You can serve a really bad drink and have a good experience at a bar. And we don't want to ruin that. We even we even developed the app so that it's 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 a sort of dark theme. So that when you take your phone out to take a photo of the cocktail, it's not lighting up this, you know, when you think of death and go, it's not going to ruin the experience for other people. These are the things that we we really want to take into consideration. And it may remain a very simple app where all it is is checking in cocktails and there are no recommendations. What we want to do is make sure that whatever the users want, that's what we're building. And then as long as it jives with how bartenders work and how, how the industry works, there's a fine line there. I mean, when you, when you talk about like Yelp and Yelp reviews and how, you know, I don't, I don't want to disparage Yelp, but there, there have been a lot of complaints and a lot of bad faith that people feel in that industry from Yelp because they feel like if they're not paying to play in that space, they're getting gypped. And that, that is not what we want to become. We, w- we want to help this industry no matter what, and we'll figure out a way to do that. You make a good point about the bartenders, but David, who was the guy, where did we hear the phrase that people don't go to bars, they go to see bartenders? I think I heard it from you. Yeah, but somebody told me, somebody told told me that they said people don't go to bars, they go to see the bartenders. And I think that's true. And I think Chris Bryant brings that up. It's it's much more than the actual transaction of of making a cocktail and serving them. It's much more interpersonal than that. Well, it's like when you walk into a place where you go fairly regularly and, the, you know, sometimes they're too quick to pull the trigger, but you're having a martini tonight, Jay or Dave, or you're having, you know, they recognize what you drink and it just makes that whole experience really personal and fun. Well, to that point, though, we'll back into this question. and It just crossed my mind. And that's that, you know, with all this data, to me, cocktails are, you know, having a cocktail it's a very personal kind of thing and it's an interpersonal thing. It, I don't, I don't really want to know about data so much. And maybe that's just a, that's just me and, a, and an age thing, but I, but I, I, I want to forget about data, frankly, at some point. And you mentioned, uh, what's the wine app that you mentioned? Vovino? Vovino. Yeah. I actually, uh, tried that app for a while and, and I was like, you know, I don't know. I, and, and I still have it. I haven't deleted it, which is a good thing, <laughs> I guess. But but I haven't used it often either, I have to say. Is that tied to the guys in the airports, Dave? No, no. This is just a collection. I mean, it's a wine uh, information collection uh, site. And it tells me what I had and when I had it and how much I, what my thoughts were about it. And it's a place for me to catch probably a lot more stuff too with the data on the backside. But I, I guess where I'm going with this is, is that how do you keep that interpersonal part? And, and it's not just whether it's an app or it's a cocktail or whatever, but, but dining out in general, how do you keep that from getting too digital? I guess for lack of a better word, I'm keeping it very human. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's an excellent question because we're talking about how how ordering a drink is not just a transaction. I dread the day where, where you walk up to a bar and the bartender scans your, your QR code on sidecar and, and says, Oh, this is the drink you would like. That's, that's not the goal of any of this. I just go to a vending machine and get the cocktail then. Right, right. Exactly. That's part of, part of going to a bar and, and trying a drink is, 
is the possibility that you might not like it. Like that, that is the fun and the challenge of being a bartender in having that honest dialogue with a bartender that, that maybe it wasn't your, your cup of tea and let's try something else. What I see sidecar is, is simply you go to a bar, you don't even have to check it in there. You just get a photo. That's it. You can check it in when you get back home. The data comes into play after all of that happens. The data is, to me, when I, when I check in wines on Vivino, I love going into my profile and seeing what types of, of grapes do I like, what types of grapes don't I like. And then I go to, a, to a, a liquor store and I don't scan wines at the store. I actually just, I know by looking at my profile that here are the grapes I like. And similarly, I'm taking a risk by trying something new. That's what I do with wine. I don't like, and you know, as much as, you know, Josh, for example, is, is the most popular Cabernet in the world right now. It's great. But I want to. I want to try. I want to try new things and, and test that out. So, as someone who is an avid user of Vivino and Untapped, I don't lose that. You know, the romanticism and that sort of mysticism around going to a bar or a liquor store or whatever it is or a brewery and trying something new. So, I. But I, I hear your point that it's a, it's a delicate balance. We we never want to replace that interaction. Well, you just you you just gave me other, another reason to use the Vivino app. So now I have to go back and uh, load some wines in there that I haven't already got. But but that's a that's an important point. We you, we are all looking for new adventures, and we want to take some risk, but we want it to be a calculated risk that we're probably going to like it, and we want to step outside our comfort zone, but not so far out that uh, we don't have any idea. So we know directionally what our flavor tastes, our flavor profile are, is uh, that we enjoy. And uh, yeah, it makes sense to me. I think it's going to be a great app. I can't wait to see it. I, I appreciate that. And, and the comfort zone thing is very interesting to me. And that's, you know, you know we never want to over-engineer the experience, but maybe there's something there where you have all this information about certain tags and like funky or, or strong, bitter, whatever it is. And there is a functionality that says, how far outside your comfort zone you want to go? And you could do all this before you get to a bar. Put your phone away. Then you go up to the bartender and say, "Here's what I'm looking for." In that, you know, you still you still retain that same relationship with with the bar and that cocktail. So, you know, we could go a million ways with it, but it's it's. I, I love this discussion actually. Can you, or even would you want to ever add a culinary portion to that? Like, okay, for for the pairings, like, hey, I, I had this cocktail. I had it with this. It was terrible. But I had it with this, and it was great. I don't know. Would that would that be any interest to you or not, really? Well, so here's the thing: when because we're so early on, and I've done a lot of reading on this. When you're when you're starting a company, especially early, your target market has to be so niche that it's almost hilarious. It's almost funny how specific your target market is. Um, so, so Dave, when you say that you know that data side of things is not something you use that. That doesn't deter me at all. We Our target market is the cocktail enthusiasts who are avid app users, they're early adopters. Then when we, when we can prove that it works, then we start thinking about the other things that we can add into the app. Then we start thinking about cocktail pairing and going to a new city and you know, based off your profile, here are the drinks you'd like. That's how I like to think about it. I, I would love that. I would love to, because you're right, cocktail pairing with food is something that doesn't exist right now. And I, I do think it's it's a little hard because 
cocktails are no, you are not called cocktails nuanced by any means. A wine is nuanced. When you say you taste tobacco in a wine, there's no tobacco in that. You're tasting it because of the way that the the vineyard developed it. But a cocktail is many times greater than the sum of its parts. But there are some very strong flavors. So I think that that is a whole category of things I would love to explore. Just not today, I guess. But I, I love that. All right, I'm officially dusting off my Vavino <laughs> getting that back in the, in, the, in the game. This has been great. I also want to bring up the fact that you started a new gig with a, a brand new company, This, I think this week? Yeah, week two. So I started last week, yeah. yeah. And you're the director of demand generation. Is that a fancy marketing term? <laughs> if you're in Boston, if you're in the Boston tech scene, you know demand generation. It's it is a crucial piece of the marketing engine that happens, especially I'm in an early stage startup that's called Clean Shelf. But demand generation is uh, I work incredibly close with the sales team. My job is to help the company earn revenue, not as a salesperson, but as a marketer. So every motion, every action, every everything I do has that in mind. It has ROI in mind. Uh, versus someone who might be on the PR side, who is the voice of the company, or someone who's on product marketing, who thinks about product market fit. They think about what is what does the customer want. Um, a lot of the things I'm actually doing for Sidecar, but you know, at a B2B company. Uh, but yeah, demand gen. I've been doing this for a long time. For I, I can't remember if we talked about this on air or not. But I, I have a day job. This is what I do every single day in Sidecar and Home Bar Awards. Are on the side, so I, you know, I, I have to make a living wage, and and that's what I do now. And in Clean Shelf, the the reason I joined was one for the people, but two, the the products that they that are the the problem they're solving is something that I've seen firsthand. So SaaS or software as a service, these tools that you pay a monthly subscription for. If I'm a company that has, you know, fifteen hundred, two thousand employees, the amount of tools and licenses and costs that go into that unmanaged, unmitigated, just just a lot of times managed on, on Google Sheets or Excel spreadsheets um, is is a giant inefficient cost that goes into that business. And what Clean Shelf does is consolidates this all. It's one a central point of truth. We integrate with all of these pieces of software. And we can tell you that you're you have this overlapping piece of software. You have the engineering team using this one the product team using this one, they both do the same exact thing and you're paying for both of them. And then this allows you know, chief information officers, chief financial officers to, to look at this in five minutes and understand the state of their SaaS suite. Uh, and that's, that's the long and short of it. No, I think that's great. In our own personal lives, we are, we have the same thing going on. How many uh, how many subscriptions do you have? I always uh, bang my forehead when all of a sudden they get an email that says uh, we just re-upped your annual subscription to XYZ app, and I go, I have What the hell is that? I didn't even use that for the past two years, and but I'm still paying for it. So yeah, no. I'm still trying to understand what this hashtag thing is you guys are talking about. <laughs> I'm the oldest one in Corral. I'm like hashtag. What is this you speak of? We'll talk. We'll talk offline. We'll, uh, we'll do a training session. Yeah, we we'll, we'll have to bring Jay up up to speed. Well, Chris, is there anything else that you want to tell us about? Uh, anything? Are you helping uh, old people like us across the streets? Now? Are you doing? I mean, you're the busiest guy I've I've met in the last month or two, and you got 16 jobs. You're doing this. You're working nine to five. You're working five to nine. You're doing, and you have a small child. I, yeah, thank you. It's 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 been a joy. I mean, he's 17 months old. He's he's starting to talk and walk and run and and all these things. And and that's 
That, that brings me to a really important point that three years ago, I wrote a personal mission statement and in my long-term goal, we talked about this, that I see something and I want to, I want to pursue it, a hobby. I want to pursue it. And I had to, I had to be, I had to get very disciplined about that and understand here are the things that are important to me. And I wrote down family's number one, family's always number one, my friends and the rest of everything else comes after that. And I go back to that sheet every three, four months, go through everything that I wrote down and make sure that I'm being honest with myself because it's so easy. And I know it looks, you know, romantic from the outside. It's so easy to get burnt out. It's so easy to, you know, have the, you just go for whatever, whatever you see you, you want to do. And that's, that is something. And, and we talked about socktails uh, earlier on in the show. I made a very strategic, intentional decision that this is not something that contributes to me attaining my long-term goal. It was great. It was fun. It helps me get to where I am, but I have limited time in my day. I need sleep. I love sleep. So here are the things that I can do. And, and I think that's really important that whether you're on premise, whether you're off premise, whether you're in hospitality or not, being very true and disciplined and, and honest with yourself is advice that anyone can use no matter what you do. Well, Chris, it's been great having you. I really, uh, I, I love your your thoughtful words at the end there. And I will tell you that the COVID times, and we didn't really talk about COVID so much, but we'll bring you back again after Sidecar is a big hit and it's up and running. I want to hear all about that, but we'll talk more about that. But I think during COVID times, I think everybody's gotten a new sort of perspective on life and what's important in prioritizing. And I love your passion. Uh, it's great to see. And, I, and your energy is awesome. And I can't wait for the Sidecar app to go live. And I know it's in beta now, uh, but we're going to uh, definitely have you back. And anything else that you want people to know about the app, what you're doing, Home Bar Awards, anything else? Yeah, I mean, I, I love helping people with this. If, if they have questions, if they have anything, my Instagram is at cocktail underscore Chris. You know, I don't have like... 2000 followers. I'm not like any sort of influencer, but I would love to answer any sort of questions you have photography related, cocktail related, whatever it is that that is what brought me into where I am right now is helping this community get better at what they're doing. So if you do have questions, absolutely DM me. And, and finally, just a thank you to the three of you for having me on the show. This was really great. I could do this every night of the week, <laughs> if I'm being honest, and just talk shop. Except that you've got a you've got a wife and a little boy uh, waiting for you too. So that's right, that's right, and, and a dog and a dog. So it's all yeah, and a dog. <laughs> but yeah, I really appreciate the time. This this has been great. I, um, so yeah, thank you guys. Well, thanks for joining us, and thanks for carving out a little bit of your evening, Chris Kurtz. Everybody, thanks again, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of Every Other Thursday has been brought to you by TabletopJournal.com. For more than nine years, Tabletop Journal has been covering the global food service and hospitality industry, all the while raising the awareness of just how important Tabletop is to the overall guest dining experience. TabletopJournal.com, where we celebrate the products, the people, and the places, all in the world of hospitality tabletop. You can learn more about Every Other Thursday by visiting our website, everyotherthursdaypodcast.com. Thanks for joining us today for this episode of Every Other Thursday.